Greetings all, your friendly neighborhood Puka here, coming at you with an ANNOUNCEMENT about the current Summer of Darkness sale on the Storytellers Vault, www.storytellersvault.com. All Changeling products, among many others, are 25% off until the end of August. Stop by to round out your PDF collection, and consider supporting some of our community by checking out their homebrew offerings. Check out the show notes for this episode, or stop by our Discord for our podcast's affiliate link. You can add this to the URL of any product to help support our show. Thanks in advance, happy hunting, and here comes the episode. This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is your host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. A thousand greetings. What are we talking about today, Puka? Well, we are taking one for the team and diving into that tome, Land of Eight Million Dreams, which is the Changeling 2nd Edition supplement for the Xian, the Fey of East Asia. It's a book. It's certainly... uh... (laughs) And we have help. We have help, thankfully, so... Greetings to Lucid, who is here joining us today. Hey, everyone. I am Lucid, just one of many like fans of World of Darkness. And for the context of this particular book, I'm also uh, Asian American, uh, specifically uh, third generation Chinese American and fourth generation Japanese American. Okay. Thank you for joining us. This is published in 1998. And even though it doesn't actually say on the cover, it was part of World of Darkness's Year of the Lotus, which I think we kind of should talk about for a minute. Oh, it does on the back cover, it looks like. Oh, it it's does. now on the PDF. That's true, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is uh, kind of odd because if I'm looking at just by the cover, it would not have immediately occurred to me that this would have been a book about Asian fae. Hmm. Yeah. The only clue to me was the 8 million, which is traditionally the number of kami in Shinto in Japanese religion, if I remember correctly. But that's like, you wouldn't expect the average person picking up the book to mm-hmm. make that connection. Right. Yeah. And of what is there? Okay, so we got a woman on the cover, which she definitely is coded as Asian, but her clothes that she's wearing does not strike me as uh, Asian coded at all. And otherwise, yeah, we do have the Siamese cats who have the slightly disturbing human faces, but... <laughs> and their little hands. <laughs> it's, yeah, but that doesn't really mean anything because, like, you know, mm-hmm. at this point, uh, Siamese cats are everywhere. So, yeah, that would not immediately strike me as mm-hmm. being that this is a book about Asian fey. To be fair, after after finishing this book, I'm not sure this book is about fate, so that's... <laughs> <laughs> I do love this art, though. It's it's Deterlizzi art, and I'm always like... Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, this was written by Dina McKinney, Jim Moore, Wayne Peacock, developed still by Ian Lemke, and edited by Count Raksha Von Sputnik II. Here's my theory. <laughs> that is a filler name for, actually, we forgot to edit this thing entirely. Mm. I thought it. I thought it was a <laughs> chimerical companion. That well, either that or it's a puka. Editing notes got lost to the mists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the Von Sputnik tool. I'm like, come on. <laughs> and we'll get into this, but the editing in this book, if there's editing at all, um, it wasn't great. Yeah. And also, so 
something I do want to note about the uh, the special thanks um, with the uh, the two people who sound like from Chinese. So obviously I want to preface this by saying that I don't know these people. I would like to hope they're very nice people. But if the rest of the book is any indication, this might be the hint of something kind of problematic, even to this day, regarding sensitivity readers. Without getting too much into specifics, that while, yes, we're now at a point where that the, uh, the call for sensitivity readers regarding cultures and peoples that the primary creators are not a part of, there's also kind of a long issue of sometimes the things those sensitivity uh, readers just being ignored. Hmm. Yeah, and we're not really clear on the writing process here. It's possible they just gave some initial ideas and then didn't actually read the text. Even it's it's hard to tell. Right. Yeah. Which from some of the stories I've seen online, that's a still kind of issue that's happening today. With either the sensitivity readers get brought in way too late in the process to the point where either the uh, developers don't want to change it. Or they can't change it because with some of the natures of how sometimes the uh, contracts, they legally can change the content. It's the, or, or just, some... the, just the, the publishing schedules were just brutal and still are sometimes. But like for this one, it would have been very brutal. Right. For you want having like a diversity team, you got to put them in like the creative elite positions. Don't have it just mm-hmm. begin and end at just the uh, sen- sensitivity readers. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and part of this, with the Year of the Lotus, for anyone who's not familiar, when White Wolf was doing their sort of Year of the series, Year of the Lotus in 1998 was kind of the first one, I would say, that was coherently planned from the start. They released Kindred of the East, and then everything else in that series across all of the game lines sort of referred back to it in some way, including this book. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, I suppose it is better to kind of plan those big initiatives in advance, On the other hand, it really shows that they kind of thought like, oh, we need to do books about Asia and just kind of went for it without taking the time to like stop and think Mm -hmm. about what they were doing or do proper research or talk to the people they needed to talk to. And it just snowballed, I feel like, because Land of 8 Million Dreams came right at the end of 1998. So there had already been almost a full year of Kindred of the East and all of the issues there and other books Mm -hmm. yeah i do want to say though before we really get into it i really tried reading through this to give this book as much of the benefit of the doubt as i could i really tried (laughs) it feels Uh... like there's there's nuggets of interesting things all over here which is more annoying if it was all just (laughs) absolutely terrible in every way it would have right been easier just dismiss it so uh... yeah there's a couple of interesting ideas on it but just along the way, there's either just, you know, tiny little things that kind of just start to add up. And then there's the really big stuff that's just like, yeah. um, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah. So it starts out with a story like many of these, but most of these, maybe all these books do. The most uh, confusing story ever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so so when, when you read a Changing the Dreaming intro, they might occasionally throw in a few terms from Changing yeah. the Dreaming. But it's written in such a way, usually, that you can, even if you haven't read Changely before, and for some reason this weird supplements your first book into it, you can follow the story, basically, right? They didn't do that here. (laughs) And they didn't fill it with Changeling terms. They filled it with some terms that were made up for this book, and other terms that maybe were made prior year of the Lotus books. But this was advertised as a Changeling supplement, so... 
and fine if you hadn't read the other ones. You could throw Pro tip it. for any would-be like storytellers, vault changeling author or whatever. If you're going to introduce a lexicon in your book that has over a hundred new terms for the reader, don't dump a solid third of them into the prologue story before you even have the lexicon list. Mm-hmm. Yes, and unfortunately, um, it's not just in the intro where this issue happens. Yeah, yeah. The intro story too. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt what's bullshit and what's not in this story, but it really feels like a hefty amount of the former in terms of like playing fast and loose with what court politics might be like in traditional dynastic China or the mythological strings that they're drawing on. I haven't consumed enough literature from China of that period to know like, oh, maybe this is actually what the writing was like. But I suspect that it wasn't. I suspect that this was written to create the, frankly, exoticizing atmosphere that this book tries so hard to steep I'm not even sure it fits with the rest of the setting presented in this book. Honestly, no. Yeah. And to be fair, other changeling books that open with stories like this, I mean, they are very folktale-y. And I imagine that's what they were trying to go for was like, oh, this is a Chinese folktale. But it comes across as like Crouching Tiger fan fiction. Yeah. I, I guess we, 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 by the end of the book, we could try to compare how badly this does at the source mythology it's drawing from versus changeling stuff against its source mythology. But that, that's one of many criteria we can assess it on. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's a low bar either way, but I'm not sure they cleared it. So. Given the comment you had earlier about these being fey or not, that was the sort of through line for me reading this book was: is this integratable? Is that a good word? Integratable. it's fine it's fine (laughs) yeah at all with changeling the dream honestly this could have just as much i mean it came out before demon the fallen but this could have just as Mm. much been a year of the lotus supplement for demon the fallen and i think it would have fitted just as well if not better and oh boy are we gonna get into the weird similarities this book has with demon the fallen yeah do do we want to summarize the story or oh yeah (laughs) Someone else do it, because I honestly don't know. There's a wedding, a monkey dies. I'm not really sure beyond that. Okay, so there's like two Hanuman, which one of those? There's two mm. monkey fae things that are trickstery, unlike the other tricksters. And one of them messes with a fire fae she likes to make him fall in love with another monkey fae. Is that right? like a prank going wrong or something and then yeah i think it was something like one of the water fae was like tricking the monkey fae to fall in love with was it i think it was like the earth elemental or metal elemental i think it was a fire elemental fell in love with a monkey fae ah okay there we go there we go yeah <laughs> and then the monkey fae also played a trick on him by and their wedding ceremony to make his clothing fall apart and he freaked out and killed her <laughs> uh, which yeah. is but felt shame and dismay and then after that there's a whole thing about the uh putting on like a trial is regarding the fire fit and at first he, uh, he's like i don't know what happened but i'll willing to accept the punishment but then there's a different monkey fae in the audience that's like hold up a second i sense a, a trap this can't be like what actually happened and then the other fae who originally enchanted the monkey fae that died, it's like, oh, oh, I can't st- end the shame. It's like, I accidentally uh, put forth this horrible chain of events. Then the judge is like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to banish both of you. Okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, and none of us are very sure because this was not well written and it's very yeah, confusing. Which, yeah, which so <laughs> setting the tone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which uh honestly my main thought with this intro story is that if you would replace all these names with kind of the various Cathane names in, I feel like the story wouldn't have changed all that much because uh this story does not give me like a really good impression about what the Hisian like compared to the Cathane. Mm. Yeah. You you just need some monkey puka and you're about done, roughly. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. a troll and Exactly. But otherwise, yeah. Right off the bat, the intro fiction is uh not really something to leave a good uh, initial impression on with the book. And then the introduction to continue that theme. We've got a lot of terms here and I dare say we need not go through all of them. <laughs> uh, and a lot of them refer to the same thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. what's the difference between a Hisien and a Shinma? I think it's supposed to like do the thing where that sometimes that, uh, especially across the world of darkness, they'll kind of give alternate like names for the same thing. Like for instance, in vampire, uh, Oh, they're kindred, but they're also canites. Mm-hmm. I think the idea here was that, that Hsien was supposed to be like the Chinese name that the Chinese Fae referred myself, and Shinma is the term that the Japanese Fae referred to myself, but even then it's... Well, it actually says in the lexicon it also was what they call the Kithane Shinma, too. Right. Which doesn't but make... they also call them Waikoven, so... Yeah. yeah. Which, uh... But I think that also applies to, like... Western, it could be like any, it could be like a werewolf or something, too. Yeah, Yeah, which, speaking of which, in terms of the terms, uh, do we want to just get right into it about one of the big red flags about uh, how it just does not do Asian culture well? Yes, please. You give yours and I'll give mine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, one of the big things regarding about this yen and how... Honestly, this is kind of an issue that's kind of consistent with a lot of how World of Darkness depicts Asia is that all of the Asian cultures kind of together in one big pot, especially for a book that's supposed to talk about like all of the Asian fate. But generally, they kind of put like all of these uh, terms from very different languages and from very different cultures just kind of all together. Which that is really bad because uh, for those that don't know, Asia has a very, very long history of all the various uh, cultures and nations not liking each other um, at all. Even long before we've factored in like European colonization, which, oh boy, will we get, get to that too. Um, yeah, there's always been a history of them kind of going to war with each other. And sometimes some kind of uh, histories that are uh, still kind of an issue and the source of many conflicts today. Mm-hmm. Like, right off the bat, just the main ones that I focus on is China and Japan. They still have very, very long history of not liking each other um, at all. To the point that there's this a modern thing that's a little thing called uh, World War II. That's kind of the biggest case of that. To the point that in Japan, there are such things as non-king deniers. Uh, that they call that the non-king massacre that happened in World War II. They say that, oh, that's just uh, anti-Japanese propaganda that uh, China's uh, trying to toss in us. That didn't really happen. Yeah, but it's also weird. Like, when they get into the political divisions, and it's like, this is, like, designed to piss off everybody? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it's, like, extending Chinese territorial claims into Vietnam and the Koreas, but, like, Taiwan's part of Japan. and (laughs) (laughs) Cambodia, too, is lumped in with Japan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh... it's just... What? <laughs> it's bad. 
And then it even goes even deeper than that. Like, so one of the terms that's used in here is called Kamui, which is the name given to the the elemental nobles of the Shinma, which, long story short, they're basically um, the Hisan's equivalents to the nobles or to the Shi. Here's the problem. Kamui is an Ainu word, and the Ainu are um, an indigenous Japanese ethnicity. Yep. And a an ethnicity that, even to this day, is a victim of really, really bad colonial violence and genocide yep. from mainland Japan, which the group that the world tends to be known as Japanese, the specific ethnicity they are is Yamato Japanese, and long hi- history of them trying mm-hmm. to oppress the Ainu, the Ryukyuan, and a couple other um, ethnicities because they consider themselves to be the superior uh, real Japanese. Yep. So None of that's addressed in this book, but... It is not, no. <laughs> no, it's just kind of played into... Yeah. Well, the thing with this book, so I think it might be helpful for listeners who aren't familiar with the concept to just briefly mention the idea of Orientalism, which is a a term that was coined by Edward Said, but has become sort of a well-known academic term. But it's the idea of kind of what you're saying, Lucid, about reducing all of the diversity and history of China, Japan, Korea, like all of the different nations and states that have existed into this one monolithic homogenized mass that is Asia and not only doing that but othering it in very specific ways and saying Mm -hmm. like I mean the parts that I almost threw the book across the room on page 13 really I almost threw the book across the room on every page but page 13 (laughs) for example the Shinma are perplexing and enigmatic and and like just (sighs) that idea of like the mysterious dangerous seductive east is like exactly what orientalism is pointing to as this is where the problem is. Then it even says for the lexicon, like with the spread of cultural knowledge through modern communication, some crossover has occurred with Japanese words, even though most of them are Chinese in origin, as though China and Japan never had any contact before whenever modern communication is <laughs> like they, they've been neighbors for a long time authors, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of played fast and loose with transliteration and the lexicon, which annoyed me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get the feeling they do have like suggested reading here. And genuinely, I'm glad they included the work of Amy Tan because I think she's a great author. But I wonder Mm -hmm. if the other books that they listed here were their references and those books, maybe one of the books used terms in Pinyin, one of them used terms in the Wade Giles transliteration system, which is only used in Taiwan now. And maybe one of them had more Japanese and they just said, oh, okay, yeah, we'll put all of this in without stopping to think Mm -hmm. about like why it's not all together in the first place. Yeah, and so. also even looking at the the very suggested reading, there's there's also several other books that looks like are written by uh, people that have very much not Asian uh, names. Yeah. Which yeah. So which the other thing is that if you're someone who's uh like say a Chronicle like a Rule of Darkness or any other a tabletop RPG, and if you're trying to mm-hmm. research a culture that you're not a part of. Look for the books that are actually written by the people that are from the other cultures. Yep. Don't look at, at someone from like, even from like an academic um, who probably has good attentions. Just if it's an academic that's not of the culture, just avoid them. Because oftentimes, whatever observations or conclusions they make, there's going to be some of it like being filtered through the culture that they come from. And really sometimes just not yep. viewing the culture in its proper context. And, and even in 1998... 
that was not hard for these <laughs> very broad, very general books they're referencing. Like it's not, it would not have been hard to find at the library. Like, it's a, yeah, because I've seen the no multiple times before where it's just like, uh, well, ba- back in the 90s, the internet wasn't what it was. And I'm sure the White Wolf writers had to uh, make do with whatever books are at their library. But the long history of questionable stuff in all the books, it kind of makes you wonder, it's like, okay, well, how good were the books in the library actually? Yeah, well, I, I don't know like what Atlanta or whatever they were living libraries were like in the 90s. Definitely would have been fine where I grew up. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say that, you know, a book, I think part of the issue is when people do research, I'm like putting on my college professor hat here for a minute. (laughs) I think people read a book without looking at the citations. You should never start and end with the same book when you're doing your research. And that regardless of who the author is or what the topic is, that's something that is good practice. Yeah. You pick up a book and it's by someone else, like not from the culture. Okay. Doesn't mean you can't read it. Mm-hmm. Right, but don't take it as gospel for sure. Right, yeah, and don't right. stop on it. The, yeah. yeah. Research, it can be unfun with the amount of work that needs to go to it, but that is absolutely the case. Well, let's say better safe than sorry, just yeah. all the time. Yeah, or at least, like, I don't know. I feel like if I had to do this book, I wouldn't have peppered it so much with cultural stuff I didn't understand as much. Like, yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to circle back to a lot of these topics repeatedly, but mm-hmm. shall we yep. talk about some of the stuff that is actually useful in mm-hmm. the intro? I had totally forgotten about the whole, the note on page 12 that like, if they cross into the spirit world, which just spoiler, they don't really go to the dreaming that much. They go to the young world or the in world, but they kind of like start burning to death immediately and eventually explode. I totally forgot about that part. Well, at <laughs> least they're consistent in that throughout this. They are. I don't think it's in C20, though. I don't remember that. No, but there's some other things later in this book Yeah, that's really not consistent, so it's like... Tell me how to spell the name of the Earth Kamui, because this book doesn't... Do they, do they inhabit human bodies, or do they look like human bodies whose lives they took over? Depends on which chapter you read. <laughs> yeah, it's, again, one of those books where it feels like it had a couple different drafts that should have been harmonized, but because mm-hmm. there might not have been an editor... They were not. Yeah. Like we, we, we recently did an anime and mm. the source text, like the, the rough draft of an anime was much better and not offensive because for one thing, you can't culturally appropriate trees or fire, <laughs> but that also had the editing. I think some of these edited, maybe not quite as bad, but this book's problem is not just racism. It has other issues. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> I will say something I do like, so maybe like, the most useful part of this entire introduction on page 13 under theme it says the ancient heritage of the shinma is to assist the august personage and his servants in all things and to protect mortals and nature the hiragana traditionally served the kamui the lords of the spirit world and tended to the needs of worthy humans they were messengers and questing emissaries the kamui protected sacred places of the elements and also acted as judges and arbiters for all shin even though the shinma are trapped in the middle kingdom their goals haven't changed those four sentences right there give me like 80% of what I need to know. Mm -hmm. And even if it's not exactly correct in terms of the mythology in and of itself, I don't find those four sentences problematic. And I'm like, could Mm -hmm. we have just had that repeated over and over? I mean, it does still, (laughs) those still do make me wonder why this is a changeling book, but that's a perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. And those particular senses, at least I get the sense of that, uh, 
it does clearly state this is going to be uh, why playing as a Hesiod is going to be vastly different from playing as a mm-hmm. Gathane. So in that regard, it's very clear on laying its cards on the table. Yeah. We also get the note that most Xian live in China. A few, however, like the Tanuki, also dwell in Japan. So later in the geography section, we get immediate contradiction because they are spread through many other countries. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll save my rant about the Tanuki once we actually get to the Kith, or sorry, the, uh, the Kwananjin breakdowns. Yes. So maybe we should select a few of these hundred plus terms that are useful to know. <laughs> so Kwananjin being the equivalent of Kith in this case. We talk about yin and yang chi instead of glamour and yugen, which is gathered from prayers and rituals. So glamour and banality aren't really an issue for the Xian. I guess we can get into that more later. There's dragon nests and dragon lines, which are sort of poolings and flows of chi instead of freeholds and balefires. There's a lot of wonky language stuff like the Hanuman. There's Shen, which are the supernatural beings. There's Xianjin, which are the adults, they, if they possess an adult body. And Xiansu, if they possess a child. There's a lot. <laughs> a lot yeah, mm-hmm. it's a lot. And Maybe that's yeah. enough. It, it, it is more than enough. <laughs> yeah. But then there's also stuff that it's like slumber, a trance-like state that many spirits fall into in the spirit world. It resembles hibernation rather than sleep. I don't think that comes up anywhere in this entire book. There are spirit so. worlds later, maybe, but they could just have left it in the spirit world rules. Yeah. And did we need it? Do we need slumber as a capitalized term? Like, if you just said slumber, I'd understand that. But <laughs> anyway, yeah. chapter one. Chapter one: The duties of the gods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the. Uh... In a time when most of the world has forgotten itself, there is one place where people still accept and believe with every fiber of their being in the gods that once walked among mortals. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, so, well, at least it's consistent about the old world of darkest staple of back in the day, things were great, but now things suck. Yeah. And you know where people recognize with every fiber of their being that they suck? The East. <laughs> it's, again, it's the year of the Lotus. They are so invested in making this, like, as different as possible in every sense they can. Culturally, socially, religiously, metaphysically, it's like... Y'all could have just not done that. Yeah, which to also kind of get back into the uh, the Oriental was a problem is that, yeah, that's kind of how they treat Asia in World of Darkness. And for the life of me, I don't understand why of all things they picked Asia to kind of do yeah. like all of this work on. I have a suggestion for that specifically. <laughs> all right, go ahead. Which is simply, it was the late 90s. Yeah. I mean, but they didn't at all. They didn't for the Americas. They didn't for Polynesia. They didn't for Africa. They didn't consider this was the heyday of Pokemon and all the anime and just, you know, yeah, but they could have had like, I don't know, new vampire clans, new kiths with yeah. new arts. That would have for sure maybe even a new way of gathering glamour if they really wanted to even that would yeah but <laughs> but even then with that place it kind of in the 90s it still kind of doesn't really match with how uh um like world of darks ages because a lot of it is almost focused a lot on china yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah you'll have japan here and there and you'll occasionally do lip service for places like korea uh, but even mm-hmm. then it's oddly focused on china which during the 90s i know that hong kong cinema was pretty big 
But even then, it's like, I don't think that's really enough impetus to try to build like basically whole other like separate splats, including going as far as to kind of making your own systems of mechanics that's like completely separate and divorced from what the core splats mechanics are. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, because I think the Hisian are probably going to be the biggest offender of this. With the other biggest offender being, you know, vampires, kindred of the East. Yeah, which is not, which are not the same type of being at all. They just, some of them drink blood. Right. Yeah, but even then, it's not entirely consistent. Like, for instance, with the Hengeokai in uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse, mm-hmm. aka the Asian Pharaoh. Yeah, they have their own, like, set of rank, renown, and gifts. But even then, that's still kind of built on, like, the, the core systems that Werewolf is based off. So yep. it's not too... Uh, big of a jump to kind of transition to, um, towards uh, and it's kind of similar with the uh, the jade wraiths in uh, or the asian wraiths from uh, wraith the oblivion they do have their own kind of exclusive arcanoi at least going off my copy of raid 20 i believe they could actually still take the yeah. quote-unquote stygian arcanoi themselves mm-hmm. and then we kind of have the relatively uh, least offenders being in mage with the various asian groups like for instance the akashic brotherhood which you know because they just run off of the sphere system that all mages do. And those were already in mage before this, too. Yep, they were one of the core groups right off the bat. So, like, so yeah, that just kind of makes uh, both Kindred of the East and uh, Land of Eight Million Dreams with Ascent kind of stick out even more. Kind of make you go, why? Yeah, yeah. because they, they made them metaphysically different entities for no apparent reason other than it's mysterious and strange in that part of the world. And it's like... Do you yeah. not see the problem yeah. here? Yeah, it's weird thinking what, if you think about which, it's like Vampire and Changeling, the two most popular, the two least popular. No, it doesn't fit either of those. And you look at versus Werewolf, Mage, and Wraith, where it's kind of, I'm not saying there aren't problems with their present presentations there, but it's at least the basic premise isn't as problem. The other thing too, though, so on page 19 here, another, well, seven words in this case that, again, tells me so much of what I need to know is it just says, the Xi'an are gods, albeit minor ones. And I'm like, okay, I can get behind that. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to bring that back to the frequently commented issue of how does this fit in with Changeling, you know, the book itself says the Xian don't really understand why the Kithane think they're cousins or whatever. The Kithane perspective is, oh, you're some mythologically inflected entity possessing a human body. You are like me. But then very little text is actually devoted to hashing out that discrepancy. Yeah. Which I think could actually be really interesting and almost like a comment on, you know, getting past cultural assumptions, but it's not. Yeah, it doesn't even really address if there are fae, like in Asia. Occasionally they end up there. <laughs> no, I mean like ones indic like more indigenous to those areas. Like ah, well, yeah. went through their own change like way or something like it and yeah. or an anime running around. And even then, of what we do get for the Ascent, it is kind of uh, brings big question marks of just like, yeah, so why aren't these just like regular Fae? Which, uh, mm-hmm. or why are they not some other game line? Yeah, because <laughs> we needed to have a changeling book for Year of the Lotus. Yeah, buy all of our Year of the Lotus products. But if you go through the there's interesting things here as you go through the title of the book and the like chapter titles, some of the chapter titles and stuff. It feels like they were going to do that, and they wrote out the outlines, and then they just changed it in the book. Yeah, and then yeah. Go back. <laughs> you mean like how all the religions are hashed out before the introduction to the religion section? 
Yeah, yeah, there's definitely seems like at best it's just very inconsistent writing. At worst, it feels like it feels like artifacts of like different drafts that they Mm -hmm. either couldn't or wouldn't have enough time to try to uh, make consistent. So they kind of just like stapled all all the drafts uh, together. Yeah, well, it's like the, the chapter three Shinma Spirits of Dreams. The first paragraph goes into explaining how they're not spirits of dreams. The Shinma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we should talk about what's in the first chapter here. Yeah. So we get the cycles of the Middle Kingdom, which is like a rehash of the cosmology that we've already seen several times across the Year of the Lotus supplements, where it's the six ages. Starting with the Age of Perfection, where, as you might infer, everything was perfect. I do like here, the Xian know and understand that their goal is to achieve the same level of perfection as the august personage of Jade, which is like God, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, that is also helpful. Like, every several paragraphs, there's like a sentence that I just want to pull out and drop into a separate document of, here's the actual stuff that's useful. (laughs) Then the second age is the age of beauty. I guess this is almost, again, if we're going to force a changeling metaphor onto this, it's almost like the Sundering, Mm -hmm. kind of. Maybe not. But the spirit world separated from the fleshly world, the Wanxian, which are the predecessors to the Kuijin, were created. Things were metaphysically defined along with the rules of reality. Mm -hmm. And Xian's role became to answer prayers and protect nature and whatnot. The answering prayers sidebar, actually, I think is really interesting, even though... (laughs) doesn't actually have much use in a game yeah the answering prayers it's definitely at least from the narrative side to kind of give somewhat of an explanation of how this actually works especially in in regards to the section of nature of answering prayers basically sometimes depending upon the uh, the inclination of their sin they might decide to go monkey's paw on on your prayer Mm -hmm. particularly uh, if they're a hanuman or just (laughs) or just say no yeah. yeah, which is definitely kind of has interesting implications, especially once you consider the idea of modern Hisien and how they operate, and that either sometimes it can be, be a case of that, well, I'm going to execute on your prayer this way because I believe this is what's best for you. And sometimes it can be that, well, I also have to do it this way because I have to be careful because I don't want the, uh, the mortals to catch onto me. And sometimes even just as petty as, eh, I, I just felt like being a dick this time. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's also, I have to just say, the phrasing, so like Auguste Personage of Jade is an example Mm -hmm. of this noun phrase structure that we see often in these books where it's like adjective, noun, linking word, maybe another adjective, noun. I don't, and it's always like, you know, resplendent dragon of the, that kind of thing. And I feel like, again, it's an attempt to create a certain kind of atmosphere that I see as kind of orientalist. And yet they just keep doing it. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I don't know the source texts in Chinese well enough to know if that same vibe comes across in certain contexts. Or I not. think there was an error. They got translated that way into English a lot. Well, the age of beautiful sadness is it? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Especially with August Personage of Jage. Yeah. I was also wondering and it being pointed out to me that. Um, it maybe it's like, was this like a really bad, bad translation of something that they just kind of just plunked it anyways without really the awareness that it might be a bad translation? Or do they feel like they had to come up with something else because over with Wraith and Dark Kingdom of Jade, yeah. Jade Emperor was already taken? Yeah, because usually if I if I come across the term otherwise outside of White Wolf, it's they just say Jade Emperor or something. Maybe Emperor mm-hmm. of Heaven or something. 
Exalted is rife with these kinds of phrases, but Exalted yes. can get away with it because it's it very consciously leans into that vibe. Yeah. <laughs> so, can it? Yeah, which... Or at least gets away with it better than World of Darkness does. <laughs> yeah. So I think Exalted was, uh, the Year of the Lotus definitely, I think, was one of the big inspirations of Exalted. For sure. Yeah, it was either that, although I don't know the exact time endings, but, but obviously when Exalted First Edition was first planned, the original plan w- was that it was going to be the actual uh, prehistory yes. of uh, World of Darkness. Yeah. That was in 2001 it was published. So Ah, got it, got it. Which, yeah. It's quite possible the ideas were kicking around at this point. And so, yeah, which, uh, and it is to the point that it mentions that as part of the Hissian's creation myth is the Ebon Dragon and the Scarlet mm-hmm. Phoenix. Because uh, I know that later on in Hunter the Reckoning, there is apparently some speculation that the messengers, the the beings that are the ones who give the uh, the imbued the powers, that there's a bunch of hints that it might actually have been the Ebon Dragon and the Scarlet Phoenix. Mm. Oh, that would get really weird as an exalted tie-in, though. But... Yes, it would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was even just an extension of just how the idea was that the imbued were meant to be the World of Darkness equivalent of like lower power solar exalts. But yeah, mm. just a yeah. artifact of different plans. Yeah. Anyway, then we get the Age of Legends. The Yami Kings, who are the demon spirit lord people, mm-hmm. create their hell dimensions and unleash a flood. Sounds familiar. And the mm-hmm. ones Xian fall from grace. We get like a whole bunch about the Kuijin here. Not really anything about the yeah, Xian. Really useful for this book. Yeah. 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 It's to the point that this section, like Age of Legends, and the next section, Age of Beautiful Sadness, almost too much focus on the Wanxian and eventually the Kuijin, which is like... Uh, I came here to read about the Hsien. Are you going to have a right. Hsien in your Hsien book? Yeah, they already published a lot of this stuff in the other books. Why are they putting it here? Oh, didn't yeah. you know this is a Kindred of the East crossover book? Yes, but it's a Kindred... <laughs> <laughs> if you need... You need Kindred of the East anyway, so like just... Yeah. Maybe let you read the book. Then there's the Age of Beautiful Sadness. So the timing on this is a little weird to me. I remember from Blood and Silk, which is the Dark Ages, Year of the Lotus book, so kind of 13th century Silk Road whatnot. And that was said to be set in the Fourth Age. Here it's associated with the Zhou Dynasty, which was, I think, like 3,000 years ago. So the timing is a little bit unclear to me on this. But, it's like, uh, yeah, I think even the, the Zhou Dynasty, I think that was even like as far as like uh, almost technically pre-Imperial China. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And they, yeah, they call it the First Empire. I'm like... Was it though? <laughs> I watched Hero with Jet Li. <laughs> yeah. And they also have Yi the Excellent Archer, who was in the Xia Dynasty, which was a thousand years before that. Anyway, they <laughs> cobble together this story, essentially sets up the Xian as the ones trying to stop the Kuijin once they became corrupted and almost take over their responsibilities towards mortals. And then they kind of get punished for it because that wasn't their job, even though it was kind of the right thing to do. So they get cut off from the spirit worlds and stuck in the Middle Kingdom. And it's interesting that this is like in part to keep them from gaining the same arrogance that they get stuck into this cycle of reincarnation. Not the same as the changelings, but this when you die, you bounce back to the young world and get assessed and then possibly sent back. Yeah, it's like a reincarnating Arcadian she would be the closest. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But it is frustrating that this is a splat defined by their relationship to a different splat. Yeah, I yeah, hate when exactly. that happens. Yeah, which if I recall correctly, especially with listening to other people talk about other books, that's 
been a common issue with, with books that are alleged to be crossover books, but it's actually putting a bunch of focus on one splat, but then the other splat that's alleged to be crossover just gets like relatively tiny mention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They also keep mentioning the mandates of heaven as though it's like the list from your boss about your tasks to do. And I'm like, I don't think that's what the mandate of heaven is necessarily, but... Yeah, never mind that for the purposes of this book, I don't think it even like describes what the mandate of heavens are that much, right? Mm. At least I, at least no. I don't remember that. It's it's not in the lexicon, therefore. <laughs> mm. I'm gonna get some monkey king story. Tell us the monkey king story, Josh. This monkey king story or the other monkey no. Um <laughs> Yeah, so you have Hanuman the Hanuman. That's a great naming there. Uh. <laughs> he meets a mortal priest named Hoti, uh, learns Taoism from him, but then creates a pun of the Tao Te Tsien. But because he's so wise, he now is able to get a key on his tail, and then he opens up a gate to the Yang world, and then goes steals a bunch of Peach's immortality, and then the Jade Emperor gets mad at him and kicks him out. And he doesn't burn to death when he goes there. Yep. Okay, so right here is also another big red flag regarding the uh, cultural sensitivity. The name um, Hanuman is actually the name of a Hindu monkey uh, deity. And Mm -hmm. uh, the monkey king here is obviously um, probably a reference to Sun Wukong, the character that's most notably for uh, Journey to the West, probably one of the most famous classic Chinese stories. And of course, for all the anime nerds, he was the primary inspiration behind Goku to the point that his full name, uh, Son Goku, is actually the Japanese name for him. So yes, scholars do seem to be general agreement that Hanuman was one of the primary inspirations for uh, Sun Wukong. The problem is that there is difference between being inspiring for uh, Sun Wukong and Hanuman is a Sun Wukong, which is not remotely true. And the issue here is that this particular um, story that is being described here, there is elements specifically from Sun Wukong's story, like particularly the element of him trying to sneak into to the uh, the August personage's uh, orchard to steal his fruit. That is an element that happens in the story where Sun Wukong also tries to steal like peaches that are supposed to grant immortality. And even the artwork they have in here, I don't think the texture actually talks much about the palm, but... That is supposed to be the uh, the Buddha's palm, which mm-hmm. to uh, make a very long story short, Sun Wukong just kind of uh, wrecked shit in the heavens to the point that the gods had to call upon the Buddha himself to stop him. And there's uh, a whole thing about trying to like having his palm kind of spushed down on Sun Wukong. But yeah, otherwise, those particular story elements for Sun Wukong, that none of that ever happened in Hanuman. Hanuman was also kind of a little bit tricksty, but not nearly as much as Sun Wukong. And I'll admit, I'm not Hindu, so I don't know, like, um, just how inappropriate it is to kind of invoke Hanuman this way. But I will say that it is definitely really bad to try to attribute story elements from one specific cultures to another completely different culture where there was no, where those similarities just... For no reason. Yeah, for no, absolutely no reason at all, which... Yeah, so the only thing I can think of is why it's like that is that the writers for this, uh, they saw the note about Hanuman being an inspiration for Sun Wukong. But then just kind of made the assumption that their names were just interchangeable, which, uh, no, that, that ain't how it works. <laughs> and that Hanuman could be pluralized into Hanumen. <laughs> yeah. We'll leave that for the kith section. In any case, for the purposes of this book, the upshot is that this is where Nathan, which is the 
Xian's power of kind of transforming themselves comes from. He took that knowledge from the heavens and brought it back. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. So he also instructed them into how to mix their chi because previously they had only been yin beings or yang beings and the vampires really liked to eat them. But then mixing their chi helped them, I guess, not have that happen, maybe be less palatable. It's an interesting kind of changeling way, if you want to call it that. Yeah, although they then later have things talking about like, oh, these changelings with their glamour and banality and seedly nuns seem to be totally opposed to each other. No one would ever do that here. And it's like, you yeah. just said... You- but they're not opposed that's the thing yeah which is just the uh, book is very internally inconsistent about that kind of thing and that's what's so frustrating because like if you took out half of this book if you took out all of the unnecessary orientalist padding and fleshed out the hints of like really interesting metaphysics and the implications that they have this could have been great (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh anyway then then there's the age of tribulation which we are certainly in when did that start you know it's unclear because we don't really get any history in this history chapter we just get myth and like yeah to some degree that would be fine except that that would only be okay if they had actually done justice to the history off screen but it's yeah it's just that the whole history chapter it just it does not really make much of any references at all to what was going on with, I guess, the mortal Asian history and how that would right. uh, impact the Hsien, which the problem being that... Which would have been helpful. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's like, no, it absolutely w- um, would. And how this kind of uh, is in stark contrast with Changeling and, and the Cathane, because, you know, the, it's like they go into... A lot of detail, so admittedly sometimes not consistently enough detail, but enough detail about the various historical events and how that would have uh, impacted uh, uh, Cathay, you know, especially with uh, how what they were doing post-shattering. So it just being absent here for the Hsien is just odd. Like, for instance, especially with uh, how much the, the emphasis is on prayer and religion, we're not going to talk about it's like, uh, the rise of communism in China. And uh, yeah, it basically said it actually flat out says later that like it never took in China, which um, uh, no, what that like is... the atheism bit in any in China yeah. or North Korea or anywhere, I don't know. yeah, which uh, the fervent anti communism of this book was really noticeable. Though, I have to yeah, say, yeah, there's like, wow, yeah. The, the other big one is on the opposite end of the spectrum is that uh, are we not going to talk about the whole thing about state Shinto right. and its ties to yeah. Imperial Japan? I'm pretty sure the authors had no idea about that. That's my guess. But it's not that hard to find. Even in 1998, it would have no, been that hard. No, but you'd have to look. Yeah. Right. So. Well, there are also other references to like East-West tensions, which is kind of a running theme through the Year of the Lotus books, which I could accept that if it was grounded in actual events or politics or whatever but the only justification is really the other side is just inscrutable yes and it's like i don't think we can honestly say that like south korea and japan and china get along better with each other than they any of them do with the u.s or anywhere in europe no that's not how politics played out in 90s let on today yeah and even then which it's going to come out a lot in the next chapter but even then when it does talk about of like a western colonialism in asia it gets weird about how it talks about it 
They seem to do some of that same first edition changeling stuff where they kind of hitch technology to banality and everything bad and and sort of mm-hmm. say, oh, the West is the source of like technological evil. And I'm like... Uh, that actually reminds me. Okay, so there's a sidebar for the Moo Courts, the sidebar, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, with another Hindu named group in them. <laughs> yeah, the DTS appeared as supposed to be the atheist but also the they feel like they're trying to like they were trying to set up dante versions maybe and then the curacao are like the bowing they're promoting a callous lack of belief they want people to not believe in any they're like spreading atheism to make the gauntlet fall down i would say they're almost like the black magician dante the one who Uh. purely used banality to gain power for themselves or whatever they're called in C20 now. Well, they do have the goal of causing the fall of the August personage. Yes. So they can regain their rightful order. By bringing him down so that they can take their place. Yeah, which... Uh... Yeah, but by spreading atheism to yeah. do that. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Doesn't really make much sense metaphysically in the world of darkness, but... <laughs> yeah, which which even then, that has you ranging back to Cathane. It's like, the chronicle that's all about the Cathane, like, going like, you know what? Let's overthrow the, the Tuatha de Danan. I mean, some yep. of them want to. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the Kairos, like, they, they seem more like a Thaline allegory, but yeah, yeah. also tying into other stuff in the Year of the Lotus. Mm-hmm. I do think it would be interesting to hear more about the Hien and their role of protecting mortals. It says it makes an allusion to how they try to protect mortals from the ills of technology, which is different than technology is bad. I would have liked to see more about that because I think that's actually an interesting path to look down. Yeah, although in terms of what it does get into, so as line of, in the West, the only idol and worship properly is technology, a god that has built its throne on the bodies of the dead in Nagasaki and Hiroshima, a god that kills more than it cures. Yep. Okay, where do I begin? <laughs> this was certainly a choice. Yes, yeah, so... First off, and the note of saying that technology is some uh, foreign concept in a- Asia, no. It, especially China has like centuries upon centuries of just technological innovation. I think it's called like the four great inventions. It's got like paper making, gunpowder, uh, the compass. And, and even then, that was also a place where just, you know, like the uh, like science and mathematics were just kind of a long history being developed. Like, for instance, they even managed to get movable type working like centuries before Gutenberg got it working in, uh, in and, Europe. And it's not like they stopped once Europe started right. actually getting somewhere either. They were still doing, they just didn't have the same economic model. Well, there's also the, uh, it's not as if the, um, let's say the West kind of has its own th- things about being more okay with like, you know, fit with uh, faith and non-materialism things. Um, I can see all, I, let's see all the, uh, like for instance, all, all, I can see all the uh, the more European-centered uh, traditions from Mage Say High. <laughs> yeah. So it seems weird that it's like the West is a Gomorrah of technology. And then, of course, how they're framing it within the nuclear bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm-hmm. I, like I don't want to get into a full history lesson about the bombing because there's just a lot, but I can definitely say that is definitely a very gross and at worst a very bad oversimplification and misunderstanding about how Japan especially views the uh, the bombings. Uh, for context of when we're recording this, uh, this is happening like days before the Oppenheimer movie gets released, and we're only like days or a few weeks out from when the next Godzilla movie just got announced, which is. Also getting right back into uh, Japan dealing with their cultural trauma of the bombings. So still a relevant conversation today. Yep. yep. 
there's also the bit here of like it's not the advances in machination that cause the threat it's the possibility that mortals will stop believing in the truth and the truth is later implied to be quote the simple acceptance of the elemental truths of reality i'm pretty sure that china is not a place where nobody has ever questioned the way that the world works like that seems to be the implication of this passage. And I'm also, like, oh, the Hisian are later on are like they're about prayer, but they don't care what religion it is as long as you right. pray. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah, which is just the, yeah. The next bit about religion is also raises some other weird questions and inconsistencies with the rest of the book. But that's <laughs> well, again, it's a very first edition Changeling and World of Darkness in general kind of take because I think that they're coming from the point of view of Christianity or maybe other Abrahamic faiths as well are in this position of like faith can't coexist with investigation or curiosity. While that may have been true in some particularly retrogressive parts of Europe in like the 14th century, that was kind of the exception to the rule. So, Yeah, exactly. I imagine up till then, and even today there's been, uh, multiple cases were even like uh, scientists that also kind of have a strong uh, religious faith and vice versa. Yeah, I don't think it was Yeah, even much in Europe. This sounds like a very American take on like very modern American yeah. take on. Certain... It's a very 90s world of darkness. Take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The idea. yeah. And I mean, I, you know, they were who they were living in the time when they were living and far be it for me to say yeah. what anybody's experience with religion may have been or how it may have damaged them. But to take that and paint all the religions of the world throughout history with a brush that's been made from that. Well, I'm a little bit confused because they seem like pro-religion in here, anti-technology. Well, they seem pro-religion only for the sake of highlighting the exotic Mm -hmm. difference of their subject. Mm -hmm. That's what's bugging me about it, where it's like, oh, those Western devils just don't understand how important it is to accept the beauty of nature. Uh, Uh, Do they? (laughs) Anyway, that's chapter one. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. Chapter two, the eight million dreams. Cosmology. It really felt like you're going through eight million distinct dreams. <laughs> Terrifying chapter opening art, Drew Tucker. What have you done? Yeah, like is it like a cat guy? Is that a... Like, uh, I thought it was the monkey guy fighting a snake guy. But it might be a cat Maybe. snake guy. <laughs> we start with the cosmology that we've gotten repeatedly in buy all of our Year of the Lotus products at this point. Beyond the Wall, there's the Yin World and the Yang World. Yin World is pretty much the Shadowlands, according to this, and the Yang World is pretty much the Umbra. And that's where the Celestial Courts with the Hall of Seasons and Kami Palaces are. That's the original headquarters or whatever of this Yin. Guarded by Foo Dogs. So this is where we get notes about how, like, if they cross over, they start burning to death or whatever <laughs> but right. but it also replenishes their tea and it's like well if they get a jade key they can go in without burning up right and you don't find out anything about the jade key until like chapter five. Oh, there's also another world there's the there's the yomi world yes the hells yeah so i made note about this is that it's kind of weird that they apparently say that the shadowlands and the rest of the uh well in world of darkness terms the underworld is apparently in the yin world but but separate from the Yomi world, because Yomi is a Japanese a Shinto word. The Yomi is also their underworld. So then it's like, why is it being two separate things from the regular underworld? Mm-hmm. Well, there's an interesting question in World of Darkness. How many places do you go when you die? Is it just the Wraith thing or is there other stuff? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Just the uh, uh, Far Shores are interesting bundle of fun that's sadly not yeah. developed all that much. Well, but this appears distinct from the Far Shores, too. 
as a yeah, place. yeah. My other note is that for the Yangril, they the way how they describe that the Greater Celestial Court, which is is supposed to be the court where the August personage of Jade is. And they said that there's a note of how they send Hoover managed to get all of the Yang world, have been able to reach it, but they can't get inside because the August Sonic hasn't completely forgiven them. And one bit of praise I'll give to the book, even though I suspect on the writer's uh, part, it's kind of probably accidental, which is this is actually kind of an interesting reflection of something that Asian Americans, which include myself, kind of faced called perpetual foreigners. It's basically the idea is that in either your ancestor's homeland and your current adopted home, you're not really being accepted in either place. So for instance, conscious Asian Americas for like in America. So obviously, yeah, you have to deal with the usual, you know, white supremacist uh, bullshit. But then when you deal with your homeland, the idea is that you're not really accepted there either because, uh, well, you're too American and you don't really understand uh, how things go here. So with this, that actually kind of um, the whole thing about the sense like their proper home is it's right there. It's like they can actually get to it, but they can't get in. It is kind of reflective of that. So I'm just like, oh, nice. Uh, good job, book. Even though I strongly suspect this is purely accidental on the writer's part because uh, Perpetual Foreigners is a content that's kind of hard for people who aren't who are not in it to really get. Yeah. Thanks, book. Yeah, you did. You got one point for reinforcing that trope. <laughs> yeah, and then they have. Um, there's a definite big uh, formatting issue where I think the uh, header for the other Umbra of like the other place you go to is the Yomi World. It's just text, like right in the paragraph. Yep. Uh, yeah. The hell of being eaten alive is appropriately creepy, though. I'll give it that. And there's a oh, nice yeah. big half page image for it. Yeah, the hell places work for me. On the next page, we have, like, Queer Cat Boy and his tarantula friend. Uh, <laughs> they're going to the Dreaming. On their way to a night out on the town in Xiwangqi, the Dreaming. And at least this acknowledges that the Dreaming isn't one of those other realms. It's something else. Yes. Yeah. It does mention, though, that there are connections. And I'm like, so are those paths of Balor or not? Well, they imply that there's other paths with other colors in this. Right. My guess dreaming. is that the book, this book would say they are inscrutable Eastern paths that only the Shen may walk or something like that. But, <laughs> but I do wonder if they can use it to travel and we get notes about how they're like riddling Chimera and Kithane don't always speak mm -hmm. the languages of the creatures they encounter there, which I think is actually a good note. But if the Shen are using the dreaming to travel, why would they not be able to like replenish Yugen from that? Because if Yugen is like the energy of the wonder mm. that comes from religion and ritual, I feel like there should be some of that in the equivalent of the dreaming. Yeah, it's the wrong form, I guess. Who knows? This book certainly doesn't provide an answer. Yeah, exactly. That always kind of struck me as odd that apparently, I guess, the uh, spirituality that comes from uh, prayer, religion, and festivals that the book gets to later on is apparently not the same thing as the dreams that the dreaming is made of because I'm. it's like if you're trying to make a prayer because you're hoping for something in your life that you want to get better, isn't that technically kind of an expression of a dream? Yeah, yeah, precisely. See, that right there, that could have been in this book and made it integrable with Changeling without too much problem. No, they could have made it very, yeah. Instead, it's the dreaming is the place they travel through sometimes and where they go for prophecy. See. And a yeah. night out with their tarantula friend. <laughs> Which, I mean, let's be fair, the dreaming always sounds like a place to have a rager at. Yes. Even if you're probably not going to rem rem remember what happened during afterwards. Yeah. 
So then we get the Middle Kingdom, which are the individual territories, the ten kingdom-level territories. Can we just fly through these? <laughs> well, these are just an excuse. We don't need to go through them all, but I think saying a lot of this is projecting imperialism, like Chinese claims and maybe Japanese claims. Like, well, all the ones that are both China and somewhere else, those should all be just China, right? And then... Yeah, which is just... Yeah. Uh... Let's see. Oh, here we go. It has a line of, it's important to remember that even among the, the seven provinces, members of all of the Hoang Amshe are present. Provinces are simply lines drawn by the Yu, a single court among many. Most of the Shinma respect these lines, but they are not the end-all be-all of Shinma society. Basically, they accept that the province borders are just kind of arbitrary, and they don't care about any of the significance about what those borders mean. Which, considering some of the groupings of, of these provinces, that's very... Tetchy. I mean, to be fair, Concordia is the same way, but the individual states of the U.S. don't generally have the same millennia of historical tensions that a lot of these places lumped together do. The Concordia one just says, hey, Alaska's part of Canada, Canada's <laughs> part of the U.S., which, like, that's at least not a thing that's being active, like, potential World War Three starting up over. <laughs> right, but Alaska and Canada, as the entities that they are, have not had like 3,000 years of colonial wrangling to deal with. <laughs> yes, no, but I mean, it's also not, like you say that and you're going to just sort of laugh at it here. Like this stuff's like, yeah. yeah, there's already been people killed over this kind of thing and it's it's potential spilling into. Yeah. So one of the other things about Orientalism is that being an ideology as it is, it kind of creates its own reality for people who don't know any better. And for someone who doesn't have that historical knowledge reading this, it's almost like this eternal present mm -hmm. where it just kind of describes, oh, here's kind of what things are like right now without really mm -hmm. giving any context for why they are that way. And that mm -hmm. is... Yeah, but they obviously knew, they at least knew like Tibet was contentious. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure, the, I'm sure the authors knew that, but yeah, beyond that... Yeah, the Tibet section, like it does mention about some of the, uh, the issues with Tibet, but then there's also uh, the other issues that it kind of skims by. For instance, uh, Shanga province, it referenced how that the region is uh, free yeah. from a communist China control. Did not age well. No, the Uyghur. <laughs> yeah. No, it really did not. A similar thing that did not age well was the Hong Kong section. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, this was written in 1998. There, there was hope. There. Yeah, the, yeah, there was hope, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, basically, it says, despite these fears, even the Communist Party in China accepts that Hong Kong is necessary evil, which, yeah, that aged poorly. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Japan, Cambodia, Taiwan, and Canaan Island are all one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Thought that was a good... <sighs> yeah. And then the sort of lumping in Vietnam and Laos with Southwest China, I kind of did a double take on that, too. Yeah, there's also some like bad uh, Asian stereotypes, like for instance, just the Mongolia section saying about how Mongolians are just kind of warlike and barbaric. Not only is that really bad, but how even to this day, indigenous Mongolians are still trying to fight for their own uh, sovereignty and human rights against even uh, communist China. So particularly fighting back against those stereotypes. This so, just actually pointed another problem. It's implying all of Siberia is culturally Russian. <laughs> Uh, no. Well, from the perspective of Vampire the Masquerade, it is. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they're drawing on. I did like how um, in Sichuan, it was like they were freaking out about the Three Gorges Dam and making it their mission. That could carry forward into the present day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I was surprised to discover when researching into the Three Gorges Dam that apparently it only managed to finish uh, construction back in 2015. So I'm like, mm -hmm. oh. 
That's they rural. kept the fight going for a while. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but overall, this is like how not to write a geography section. Oh, to- oh like- Tokyo's completely controlled by the ones that yeah. are Dante-like. Right. So yeah. which, which does come up in World of Darkness Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this overall lack of history, the sort of wonky lines of organization, they keep mentioning terms and societies that we haven't come across yet, what they actually are, politics mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just all a mess. Yeah, it's both the content and the presentation. It's not Yeah, good. and the editing. Yeah. <sighs> Page 43. Though there are many Shin Meshien within the city, the power belongs to the Shin Meshien. <laughs> also, the Hangeoke of dealing with both the Shinma and the Shinma on page 43. Yeah. Whatever that means. <laughs> so, do you want to leave aside all these terrible editing and go to the religions of the Middle Kingdom? Yeah. I'm sure that'll be an improvement. Yeah. Uh, Spoilers, it's not. <laughs> What's the first religion they list here? Animalism, except that once you actually read closer on the write-up, you realize it's ascribing animism. They say it lots of times, though. It keeps saying it's animalism. Yeah, just let- you know, I wonder if the White Wolf computers had some kind of spell check replacement where it was like, oh, this is a discipline. Yeah. You meant animalism. Yeah, yeah, maybe. The atheism one's just... Yeah. The Hissian have nothing to do with the atheists and never answer their prayer. All those famous atheist prayers. And there's like, communism has not been successful in wiping out any sort of religious belief in Asia. The Cultural Revolution says hi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also North Korea. Yeah. Like even stuff like the Cultural Revolution and to kind of go back to the issues with chapter one, it's to the point I would go far saying that the Cultural Revolution like should have been like the Chinese science equivalent of the shattering because it was really that bad. Yeah. For Confucianism, we are told that it's responsible for much of the ways in which Chinese culture has evolved. (sighs) (laughs) So the thing about the various Chinese uh, religions and belief systems, Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, they are kind of both intermingled and kind of separate from each other at the same time in that... Yes, a lot of them did play a huge part in uh, shaping uh, Chinese culture and uh, a lot of aspects of it. But that's kind of different from it is Chinese culture. I'll admit it's a little bit hard to explain, but sometimes it inter- intermingles, sometimes it's not. Yeah, syncretism. Yeah. I will say, even though these sections are about as reductive as religion sections could possibly be, at least some of them, I feel like they were trying to be respectful in their ignorance. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Am I misreading this? The atheist group of the Sien are very influenced by Shinto? What? Oh, so it opens with, in many ways, the Shinto faith embodies the heart of the Hsien beliefs. Right. Even though in the following paragraph, Taosim, not Taoism, Taosim is the main impetus behind the beliefs of the Shinma. Yeah, it's like, which one is it? Because you know, Shinto is not is not identical at all to Taoism. Yeah. And they sell Shinto so short in this. Like, again, it's reductive. And it is actually the longest of the religion chunks here. But it's like such a surface level. <laughs> well, I think they don't know the Deityas are supposed to be here. Like, it doesn't make any sense with the other thing they said. The Deityas who come from Hinduism. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, then there's the... Uh, the other faith section, which there was a line about how, uh, despite their best efforts, however, the world is changing, being altered from outside forces as the West slowly forces its way into the whole of Asia. So trying to imply that as of 1998, European colonialism hasn't quite caught on yet. <laughs> and yet it says right here, Christian and Islamic beliefs are practiced by a growing number of mortals in Asia. It's like, how did you think Christianity got there in the first place? 
Well, also, Islam's been in Asia a very long time, and it's been very established. Populations are increasing, so it is growing. Yeah, yes. but we're talking <laughs> By like over 100 million. Yeah, 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 like I said, just lots of passages where just the left hand not talking to the right hand, or just not really considering the implications of what they were writing with other sections of the book. Yeah, even the sections immediately following. Speaking of which, festivals. Mm-hmm. Did you use this in your book at all? Do you know, I used like the first few and then the moon festivals. I skipped over a lot of them, but I also felt like, did they really think their readers just wouldn't understand how a lunar calendar works? Yeah, which despite going in detail about the lunar festivals, the most famous of the Chinese holidays, the Chinese Lunar New Year is kind of almost only mentioned like a couple sentences, Yeah, which is like, Probably yeah. like one of the biggest globally. It's even to the point that even for like Asian immigrants that aren't Chinese. I mean, it's a thing that you'd like know if you're going to know anything from that in the US or even it was like famous. Yeah, it mentions it, but it says they celebrate the new year with the coming of spring, not with the arrival of January 1st. And I'm thinking they're sometimes not that far apart. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like is early February spring in Atlanta? Is that what this? Sometimes it's late January even. So yeah, I anyway. don't know. <laughs> Anyway, it's it's flavorful, if nothing else. Um, mm-hmm. Then we get the culture section. We get Asian culture, which it's a travesty to even have a section that's named that. But then uh, I'm going to say this right off the bat. The Asian culture section is easily the worst part of the book. Yeah, it's so we have religion, which I'm baffled why this summary of religion was not included before the section that detailed religion. Uh- I swear they their research for this was like a really horrible Palladium book about <laughs> Mystic Ch- called Mystic China. Like it reads very closely. They definitely right. had similar sources. And what the hell is this like sudden turn into talking about arranged marriages? Where is that coming from? I I don't get where it's in unless if it's like reading in too much in some of the older practices. But even then, I think even by 1998 in like media that was coming out of like China, Japan, and certainly anime, it came to the point that even the, that type of media was like was making fun of the idea of arranged marriages for being old fashioned and backwards. Yeah, yeah. I heard that stereotype of other cultures. I don't even remember countering this as a big thing for like China or Japan as a. Apparently, it's still a common practice for parents to sell children, usually daughters, in order to ensure financial security. What the hell? (sighs) Which is followed by responsibility. The family unit is extremely important to the Chinese and Japanese alike, as well as the neighboring countries. And like, you were just talking about people selling off their children. (sighs) Like, it would have been a book, like, or in this case, a tablet throwing moment for me if they mentioned foot binding. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, that's in the mage book. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, I will say that in terms of just broad Asian culture, like, I'm not sure they call it out specifically, but yes, it is true that collectivism, aka just uh, putting forth the needs of the group over the individual, that yes, it is true that that is a big thing in in Asia versus how in West it's about, especially America, individualism, aka the needs of the individual is prioritized. But that does not mean that um, culture is kind of just uh, go along and accept it, or there's never moments of criticism toward that. Like in the same way, how even in the West, it's not like there doesn't exist any criticisms of individualism. Yeah. So yeah, and there's definitely traditional Western culture is pretty family focused too. Yeah. yeah. 
If it was up to me, I would honestly probably talk about collectivism and individualism and kind of break down the differences between each other. But then I'd also bring up the criticism of the kind of leave it up to certain tables about how they want to, you know, obviously give it a little bit more nuance to kind of bring a little bit more uh, depth for a theoretical Hisian game. Yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, we get crime and punishment. It wasn't until I was reading this that I remember how much the Singapore case they bring up with the kid getting caned was like everywhere in the media for oh, a minute. Yeah. I remember that. They were really affected by <laughs> these authors. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, And even then, which this was actually kind of brought forward to me with, that was something that was imported in by the British Empire. Yeah. That was not something that the yeah. local Singaporeans came up with themselves. So it's like, um, what the hell? Yeah, they also, like Japan's the one country that's not, I'm like, what? Like <laughs> Japan so, has become almost too lenient by Asian standards. But like oh South Korea hasn't had the, no one's been executed in South Korea since 1997. Just check that. Like it's not, I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of different places with different legal traditions. And oh, I need to hold forth for just a moment on the sidebar, the Chinese language. As a linguist, I feel personally affronted by. <laughs> but oh, like, they didn't use the word tone once. It would have been very easy for them to do so. They refer to the dialects when, in fact, linguistically, they're different languages. Well, no, that that goes yeah. into like falling into the Chinese imperial claims outside of the Japanese ones. Well, yeah. as has been said, a language is a dialect with an army and a navy. So yeah, yeah, it is a political distinction. But regardless, um. It's it's a gross oversimplification of the complexity of the language, and it bothers me. Yeah, yeah, and even then, of what is brought up as like, I feel like it was trying to talk about like you know Mandarin Chinese versus Cantonese Chinese, and yet it doesn't actually reference Mandarin no. or, or Chinese. I think it's talking about Mandarin Chinese versus written Chinese, mm. and then implying there's also dialects, and it works the same. Well, I, I'm not going to say that homonyms aren't a thing because they mm-hmm. are but this is such a gross oversimplification of the whole thing. And they very clearly chose the examples that were going to make it seem most ridiculous to Westerners. So it's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, as the Western languages don't have homonyms either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, uh, now let's talk about the things that I want to oppose or kill this again. Yeah. There's a lot, aren't there? Yeah. There's the law. And do you know what you need to do to understand all of them? You need to buy all of our year of the Lotus supplements. Which are all listed here. (laughs) For those who do not wish to invest in these source books, here is an overview. (laughs) Like, all right, book, calm down. But yeah, I mean, this section, like, we get mortal threats. It's just anti communism. No, no, no. I don't think this is anti. I think this is just racism against Asia, really. Some of both, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, like, for instance, the whole subsections on the triads, the, the tongs, and the yakuza hmm why is this here and, and then i'm like say for the cathane books where there's ever an extended section about how the italian mafia feels about the cathane there's a whole book about it isn't that more like just a general world of darkness book yeah yeah it is i don't know that changelings actually make an appearance in that no book. Yeah, <laughs> no but yeah it's like the appearance of like just the asian criminal groups uh, i found just kind of suspicious that they even thought to bring it up especially considering that the other racial stereotypes Frankly, the part that I wish there had been more about was when it mentions that for the Xian, when they enter a body, it's not easy to ignore the families of their hosts, even when they're busy, like, 
fulfilling the higher ups orders to create a natural disaster or something that to me is a much more compelling story than what are mortals doing to quell religious beliefs or any mm-hmm. of the criminal groups like yeah if you want to have a yakuza game fine go do that whatever i would rather have a game where it's like you need to go poke a hole in the three gorges dam but also your mother is sick and can't afford the medicine like that mm-hmm. kind of thing that to me is how to make this more like a changeling game yeah, yeah exactly which to me i think that's probably like the most interesting part of changeling is just the idea mm-hmm. of trying to balance the fantastical with your mundane life which the book, it kind of references it, but I do wish it kind of uh, Does it... references it more. <laughs> Does yeah, it, it has a few paragraphs. has a few paragraphs about it in the in the mortal threats. Yeah, the operative word being kind of. <laughs> and well, I'm glad in a 152-page book, we got a few paragraphs on one of the core themes yeah. of the game. <laughs> That's good. <Yeah. laughs> so then we have some demon hunters, which are like proto-hunter the reckoning. Mm-hmm. There's a sidebar here that is completely at variance with the mechanics later, where it says that a point of Yugen spent can re- restore one health level of damage, and then aggravated damage, you can like meditate in a dragon's nest and heal that more quickly. So that's like vampire level healing. Yeah. Not as efficient as werewolves, but certainly much more than changelings usually. Yeah, mm-hmm. which wraps right back into these aren't really fey. Yeah, they're prayer eating things well there it, do, it does get it is pretty close to demon the fallen yeah which uh, it is not close to demon the fallen demon the fallen is close to this okay yes yes, yes there we i go. will die on that hill <laughs> yes yes yeah yeah but just a lot of the elements of this book like the whole how they get sustenance from prayers religion even to the point of having weird interactions with the other worlds it's very very reminiscent of a demon the fallen yeah they're the former messengers of heaven yeah. It's a... Yeah, which now I'm curious if like the writers on this book went on to write Demon of the Fallen. Yep. That'll be for another podcast to investigate. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. We have the note here that Jade can harm them, although not quite in the same way as Cold Iron. Mm-hmm. And then we have the other supernatural stereotypes where Hengioke gets like three sentences. It's like they get along. The end. It's actually bizarre because I think there was a detail back in the first chapter that they do not get along. <laughs> I suspect they realized the mistake of giving certain splats to the Henge Yokai to the point of saying that, oh, actually, the Henge Yokai used to be behind the Hsien, but they got separated into their own thing. I mean, that that's more of a changeling. Yeah. 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 <laughs> They're prodigals. Yeah, yeah. Werewolves are just puka gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> the Wraith section, I thought, actually brought up a really interesting kind of story hook, which is what if the Hsien possesses a body and the Wraith is still around? Like, okay, Mm -hmm. here's a freshly dead body for you to hop into. Oh, by the way, that ghost is pissed. And I think this was before the Risen book came out, but that would be a duel. Give me back my body. Yes, absolutely. I think it even points out that if their body is their fetter and they find someone else walking in on it, yeah, there is a ton of uh, potential for plot hooks. Mm -hmm. A lot of interesting potential for that conflict. As opposed to the Kuijin, where it really just boils down to, the Kuijin wants to eat you. (laughs) So... And the Chinta, the mages, they're nonplussed or freaked out by the mages, depending. So then we have the Waigoran section, which is like, oh, it's all the Westerners. And there's a quote where it's like, many in China and Japan consider the Westerners who come to their lands as the root of all evil, but many more simply don't understand the strangers to their land. It just feels like manufactured conflict for the sake of further look how different these two sides are, especially because there's this kind of sanctimonious whataboutism later on. 
where it's like, well, let's remind you that the same has been true in the West from time to time about this. Yeah. This would have been fine without that kind of, anyway. It's, yeah, I'm sure that the writer's meant for good intentions, but it definitely feels, I know this is kind of a little term nowadays, but it definitely feels very performative uh, allyship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is mention the- of the Kithane and their peculiar desire to see this Yen as their cousins, but the Kithane are also the least described out of all of the Western supernaturals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're just kind of weird and creepy and they're interesting travel companions. Right. Yeah, and then there's probably the weirdest detail regarding mages. It says, They are, however, constantly amused and guardly optimistic about the Western examples of the Akashic Brotherhood. <laughs> so, are you trying to imply that the indigenous Asian Akashic Brotherhoods you find sus, but the Western Akashics, <laughs> which, let's be fair, in this context, they might mean white Akashics you're somehow more cool with? Yeah. Yeah. So weird. But that's chapter two. We really have to move through the other yeah. chapters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> chapter three, Shinma, Spirits of Dreams. First paragraph says they are not spirits of dreams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We find out information about their human shelves. Yes. I believe that the idea is that Hisen Shu and the Hisen Jen is that it's like, okay, so basically these are their equivalent of uh, the seemings, but instead of three of them, there's only two. Yeah. Yeah, there's a creepy thing about inhabiting dead fetuses. Yeah, which and... is a choice. <laughs> One thing that I was wondering, and I don't know if we get a clear answer, is that if you hop into the body of a dead mortal, a dying mortal, does it heal automatically when the Xian pops in? Because um, they kind of make reference to that, like, oh, this person just miraculously got up and walked away from the car crash yeah. that we thought killed them. I think it does, yeah. yeah. Well, I remember the healing rules earlier. Yeah, I'd assume they'd have to, because otherwise the whole premise of them bringing dead bodies back to life just doesn't make sense. Right. They must like have a bunch of Yugen to start with in order to do that or something. Okay. And what is with this is this is another thing that's creeping me out. Adults start at age fifteen. Mm, which... I think the implication there is like you know it's more about a a fully formed person rather than okay i hoping it's that and not perhaps attempted an off-color reference to like japan's infamously low age of consent Mm because yeah okay so and then it talks about yeah their true form wannies i still i don't this is where i'm getting the mechanics i'm I'm, i don't really understand the mechanics of this book very well so wani is kind of their fame but it's like evoking the weird because yeah. They have powers that are only when it's active, but then they get an extra with the mask of Shinte. Yeah. Well, so the Wani form, because they have their luck and their curse, which are like birthright and frailty. And then the Wani form is like their second birthright, which is only active when you call on the weird. Because mm-hmm. remember, second mm-hmm. edition especially was weird huh, about that. <laughs> yeah. And then the Hiroyano, the commoners, can also turn into an animal like the Puka can. Mask of Shintai is like dragon's ire. Oh, okay, because they keep saying it's like... Yeah, because Dragon's Ire at the time, before it was an art, was like extra yeah. calling upon the weird. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's how it was before C20. Yeah, But they don't have the mist to explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They also can't have kids, incidentally. Yeah, because <laughs> they're dead. Yeah. This is mentioned. Okay, which that's going to make one specific Quan Jin really awkward, among other things, but... <laughs> yep. So speaking of those Quan Jin, let's go through them. So we start with the Fuxi. Uh, this is the second admirative world of darkness, basically half human, half snake people. And then we get a new one in C20's Player's Guy. I still like them. They're curious, but they're also matchmakers and puzzle solvers. Yeah. You can kind of tell that writers are feeling the regret of giving like so many prominent 
Asian mythological creatures over to the Henge Yokai. Yep. So my main vote about this, especially in terms of the name, Fusi. It's a person. Yeah, apparently he's supposed to be the name of like a Chinese creator god. One yeah. of the gods that, you know, helped form the world. But I just think it's weird that if that's supposed to be the case, why is he among the category of the Asan that's the commoners? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they seem to have done that a lot with these names. Like the names are kind of drawn from a variety of sources, Chinese, Japanese, and Hindu, where they're a mix of like individual deities and figures from myth, as well as classes of being, mm-hmm. which it's just kind of all over the place. And I'm not really sure what their motivation was. They do lean very hard into the elemental stuff. It does, but... it does Not that it's right, but it does still feel very changeling to do that. I guess that's fair. Mm, yeah. Yeah, true. But... I would say changeling leans more towards the groups of beings. Then, the, the best pluralization, the Hanu uh, men. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. I already went into my big thing about the problems with using the term Hanu men in this context. Yeah. But my other note is regarding the the artwork is that uh, that looks like a very European gesture outfit that he's wearing. Hmm. Why is he wearing that? I'm just offended by the pronunciation guide, which says it should be pronounced Han Yu Men. But anyway, <laughs> one thing I will say in favor of these write-ups is I do like how they include merit and flaws suggestions. I think that's a really wise inclusion. Oh yeah, that's true, because I can't think of actually any other World of Darkness uh, spot write-ups that yeah, has ever yeah, yeah. included suggested merits and flaws, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's handy. That's good to have. Mm-hmm. So then we have the Hung Po who are restless, wandering, fish, water elemental commoners, who are storytellers mm-hmm. and information brokers. You have no mention of Selkies or anything like Merfolk. Or yeah. yeah, even though the Selkies would absolutely have at least approached the shores of East Asia. Also with the term Oh, so the other thing is that, at least from my research, I have no idea where they got that name from. I also looked and have no idea. <laughs> yeah, so now admittedly there's uh, like some of the terms... Some of them are kind of like alternate romanizations of certain terms or just alternate names. So I'm not sure if this is an alternate name of something that just isn't online because otherwise, yeah. Yeah. As opposed to the following one, the nyan, which is the word from yao in Japanese. So makes sense because they're cat commoners. Very skimpily wearing clothing cat commoners. They're sexy scouts. They're lazy and they love politics. Yeah, which the painted picture of the artwork, very sexy looking thin lady. Uh, she seems to be wearing, like... Having a wardrobe malfunction. Yes, a wardrobe malfunction that she just seemed to mind. I'm not sure if she's just, like, really high-cut booty shorts or she's actually in her panties. And then she's also wearing stockings and ankle-high boots. So it's like, I have in my notes here, horny cat girl cringe. Hey, at least it wasn't horny spider girls. Like in mm. <laughs> And then we have Tanuki. Yeah. I just have one question. Where are the scrota? Yes. Where is the Tanuki's ginormous uh, ball sack? Honestly. Is this depiction anything like Tanuki? Like the description of them? Or is it like no. English badgers? Like... I really think it is supposed to be like the English badgers because uh, aside from the enormous ball sack, Tanuki often depicted as kind of, you know, very rotund, very chonky. While this is kind of an agile, honorable warrior, which is... Uh, not really what Tanuki and mythology are known for. He's Japanese Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a gi can hide a lot. It does say that Tanuki are often stocky and thick-waisted, so but, uh, the art may not correspond, but the description, at least, it seems like they tried. And honestly, with the arc, especially with the Tanuki is appearing like a cloud, 
If I do know better, I swear he's actually evoking a different uh, Japanese yokai, the Kamaitachi, or the Sickle Weasel, which is uh, supposed to kind of represent, Ooh. like, cutting winds. Apparently not. That's a tanuki. I was really annoyed by the quote they had here where he says, I had him right in my hands. I would have pounded that Quijin bastard through the Earth's core to the USA if you hadn't stopped me. It's just such a clunky line. <laughs> it's like... <sighs> anyway... Yeah, and, and even then, these splats, they also have, you know, what's common to World of Darkness splats, like the sidebar with all the uh, the stereotype quotes. But most of these quotes, they're very fortune and cookie wisdom. Yes. So, yeah, they're, they're bad. <laughs> or like bad subtitling. Yeah. Anyway, then we get to the nobles. Mm-hmm. We have the Chu'iyu, who are the metal ones, who are stoic judges and soldiers, objective to a fault. Mm-hmm. And death aligned? Something. Because they're metal, and that's death. I guess. <laughs> yeah, about that. So in terms of the name, I believe they took a name from a mythological figure that was, he's known for having a metal head and forehead, but that was kind of it. He's kind of known for being a, a warrior leader. Of the references to elements, he's kind of known for sort of conjuring storms, not really dealing with metal. Also with the whole thing of trying to evoking skeletons, I'm not sure 100% that might be evoking the Japanese yokai, the Gashadokoro which is basically a, a giant monster skeleton. The whole effect is apparently something like that of an ancient skeletal warrior promising a reign of death on any offenders. But it's reign, R-E-I-G-N. So it's like, <laughs> I'm going to start a nation state of death. Yeah, they're the nobles. So, you know. Yeah. The Chujong, the fiery ones. I think they're supposed to basically be uh, House Fiona. Kind of, yeah. And this is the one that the the guy at the prologue story who mm-hmm. had his clothes unraveled and then burned his bride to death in rage uh, yeah. was one of these. Oh, I guess their curse is to avoid a fight after being assaulted. They must have built a role at difficulty eight. Mm-hmm. I guess he botched it in the story. They have hot, volatile tempers, apparently. Yeah. Their merit and flaw suggestion is true love and vengeance. Yeah. So there you go. Volatile, but also kind of more passionate seekers of justice. The Chujung are about the uh, the spirit of the law and they really did kind of right wrongs, even if it means kind of bending the laws a little bit, which honestly, that makes them, in my eyes, kind of awesome to the point it kind of reminds you of actually, you know, the typical like um, shonen protagonist. Yeah. So then the Hochi, named after the guy who introduced the cultivation of millet in myth. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Because <laughs> they're the wood-aligned nobles who like agriculture and gardening and whatnot. So it's mm-hmm. like, all right. Even though they're taking the name of this mythological figure and turning it into an entire kith equivalent, at least it makes some sense. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like Yildu mixed with Children of Gaia. It was like <laughs> if, if, if there was a Yildu house. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. No, like the she could join and then that'd be them. Yeah. yeah. Of the nobles, they're apparently the most chill with the commoners. So that's neat, I guess. Good for them. Yeah. And they get the crappiest of Wani powers, I think. Oh. Oh, immune to yeah. wooden weapons. Like auto-soaking wood damage. <laughs> yeah. So then, the Komuko, which the book repeatedly has Komoku instead, and it's several times for each, so I don't know. I couldn't find what this was supposed to be in reference to mythologically, so I don't know what the original form might have been. But Yeah, n- neither could I. <laughs> yeah, uh, but they're the Earth ones. I do like their Wani power, that they can't be hurt by falling and impact with the Earth. I think that's kind of fun. Yeah, it's but, neat. Although with the artwork, it's not as iffy with the evoking um, Hanuman's name, but I'm a little bit like, hmm, over just carving a statue of Ganesha, also a, a Hindu yeah. god. With... Yeah. 
And then the Suijin, who are sharp-tongued, water-elemental courtiers. They're choosy about their friends, and even choosier about their foes. And also have no knowledge of merfolk. It does look like the art was kind of repurposed from Blood Dim uh, <laughs> Yeah, Or pre-purposed. I think this came out slightly before. And also with the artwork, considering that the uh, their border form is like a diver, I'm not sure if that's supposed to like be a reference to the Japanese uh, Ama divers, which are... Basically, they dive for, like, pearls, abalone, and all that. At least from what I've seen online, the odd divers tend to not go diving wearing that. <laughs> Relatively skippy-looking uh, bathing suit. Yeah, I think it's one of the artists um, was very, very horny. Yeah. I mean, this is a White Wolf book. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> also, she can breathe water. She's fine. She can wear what she wants. <laughs> anyway, those are the Quenonjin. Any favorites? Name aside, I kind of like the Hanuman. I do like how they're referenced as kind of being the other nobles, kind of like the trolls are mm-hmm. among the commoner Kitae. Mm-hmm. That the mm-hmm. other Hiroyano look up to the Hanuman. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I've already said my being about uh, the Chujung be my favorite, and yeah, the Hanuman's like the name mm-hmm. aside, it's like the uh, Sun Wukong's always awesome. And it's, I definitely wouldn't yeah. mind anyone who want to kind of uh, play that out in their own way. Yeah, Chujung also seems fun to play, unless you get clothes unraveled. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Chapter four. The way. The fact that they keep quoting the Tao Te Ching in here without like any context or relationship to the stuff no, that they're, follows. No, they're quoting the Tao Te Xian. Not at the start of this chapter, they're not. Uh, okay. No, you're right. Yep. So we go through the steps. Page 84 has, as I've said before, one of my top five most unsettling art pieces in the entire game, I think. Yeah. That needs a contact warning to describe it. Yeah. Content warning. Self-harm. Not just self-harm. Self-harm and other harm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a smiling grandmother with a gun to her own head in front of the body of a young person who presumably is like her daughter or granddaughter. And she's like, I'm ready for my new body. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to go back to something we've mentioned a couple times, changelings, like any other World of Darkness splat, can be assholes. And this is a connection with that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they may not be fey, but. Yeah, they talk about how, like, murdering humans for taking over is not allowed, but it happens. Preparation. Yeah, yeah even mentioned yeah. about storing um, extra bodies. Nope. <laughs> and I think that makes for a good villain if you wanted to have a villain in your Xian game. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So first you choose your seeming, whether you want to be Xian Su or Xian Jin. Which is permanent, doesn't change when you age. Yeah. The ones that start as children tend to be better connected with human society. The ones that start as adults tend to be a little bit more supernaturally powerful and knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And then you choose your kith. It says kith, even though we've been told it's not kith, yeah. it's Quen yeah. Jin. <laughs> so the courts we have seen reference to repeatedly in these chapters, and every time it's like, I ha- I know nothing about what this means, but... Finally, we get some descriptions. Yeah, they do, but they're not tied to your legacy, right? Right, you just choose one. Yeah. Yeah. There's the Li Shen, the traditionalists. They're mostly Kamui, and they're Confucianists who seek to bring down the Three Gorges Dam. There's the Xian Mo, who are mystics that fully embrace the Tao Te Xian, which will reopen the wall, which not everyone thinks is a good idea. And I kind of like that as a political mm-hmm. you know, friction point. Mm-hmm. The Yu are politicos who hoard jade, primarily Kamui, who run things. And I think that the 10 leaders of the 10 provinces are implied to like all be members of this court. But I don't know if that's actually the truth. It also says the appeal to changeling players is automatic. And I'm like, <laughs> so the book seems to believe that players will just automatically want to make Kung Fu Xian Knights. Like that's going to be everybody's default. 
So then we have uh, the Xianmun, who are the worldly, or the immortal society, and they are more concerned with their human lives, largely a Hirayanu and generally a Xu Xian society in politics. There's the peasants, the Wu Xian, a catch-all epithet for the vast majority who still live in small villages and have strong ties to the land and local shrines. And the Tushan, who are partiers that seek to bring about the Age of Joy by getting people to party. So they seem more like the political alignments that we got in things like Nobles the Shining Host, where it's less about the code that you espouse and more about your political goals and social goals. Which, I mean, I'm fine with. I'd rather have that than like a forced Yin Court versus Yang Court kind of thing. Which is a route they could have easily gone through, but they did not. Well, especially because immediately after we get Yin and Yang legacies. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. So my other note about the courts is that one detail I do like about how they do the riots is that they even actually have a breakdown for kind of notes about what type of player would kind of be appealed to each type of court. Hmm. For playability, that's definitely a nice detail to have, especially if it's... Uh, you know, first-time players where they're not sure about what court they should be uh, going to. Right, and if you have no external point of reference for how this corresponds to things in the moral world, because this book sure as hell isn't giving that to you. No, it does not. So. <laughs> Briefly, the legacies, it says they don't correspond to Seelie and Unseelie. Glad it says that. <laughs> Rank is to do with yeah. the sum of your yin and yang chi scores. But you still have title. Yeah. Well, it's called something else. Yeah. <laughs> So then traits, pretty much the same, except there's some slightly different abilities mixed in, like Shen Tao, which is the Eastern version of Kenning, because all things Eastern and supernatural are metaphysically different. Yay. Sigh. There's luck and curse instead of boon and flaw. Backgrounds. Backgrounds are pretty significantly different. At the very end with the uh, merits and flaws, which are really just a slightly reverted versions of the Art Affinity changeling eyes and the i guess it's called werewolf slash vampire companion which i'm just like yeah um i don't know why this is here because they get along with werewolves but i'm not sure why <laughs> i mean the biggest change is that you have the yin chi and the yang chi scores which are dependent on the kith that you start with mm -hmm. the balance that you have and i'm kind of okay with that given how they do strongly associate with individual elements that are seen as more or less yin and yang mm -hmm. you also have a yugen score which is the sum of your yin and yang so presumably your yugen is identical to your rank and then the tao which is weird to understand it's almost like arate i would say because it's what you use for your natan internal alchemy powers but it's like a thing that you does it say you can't buy it with freebies? You can only advance it? Oh no, can, it can only be purchased with freebies. If you're familiar with Kindred of the East, it works differently, but it's also super weirdly complicated as to all the yeah. traits and things. Yeah, a lot of the exclusive mechanics for the Ascent are just weirdly like over-engineered and just kind of overly complicated, and I'm not sure why it needed to be like this complicated. Briefly, I also just want to mention that there are two new backgrounds that don't have a correspondence in Changeling, which is you can have a talisman that stores chi, so it's like a rechargeable dross, and then Pakua, which is like arcane and mage, and you can kind of avoid notice. And I think those are both pretty cool. Yeah, the kind of interesting differentiation between regular Changelings is that, oh yeah, the Asian don't really have an innate equivalent of the mists, but they can get Pakua, which is right. kind of like the mists. Yep. So, speaking of complicated systems, chapter 5, Wutong. 
I'm not going to go into all of the details because I think that they have been more or less ported into C20, although nerfed. And they probably should have been nerfed because they're really powerful. But I will say I love this system. I do think it is unnecessarily complicated to add into Changeling. But as a standalone game, as a standalone system of magic, I love this. So (laughs) I want to put that out there before we get into it. Um, It's interesting, at least. I don't know how well it corresponds to actual Taoist theories on like the alchemies and the elements, because I know those are a thing that exist. But I like that that is their kind of foundational principle for organizing how the magic works. You have wood, you have water, you have earth, you have fire, you have metal. And each of those elements has its own alchemy that you can express and manipulate in different ways that get more and more powerful as you go up in levels. And then it's like, instead of cantrips using bunks and being banality-based, it's like you decide how extensive and intensive and widespread you want your effect to be. And that's going to ratchet up the number of successes you need. But you can ratchet it back down by facing in the right direction, wearing the appropriate color, or reading a haiku. Things like that, I just, you know, I'm into it. So that's my spiel for why I actually like this chapter. So I'm also a big mage fan. And yeah, it's basically kind of a fusion between like the freeform nature of sphere magic and with a couple other the mechanics from uh, Arts and Realms, like particularly the Fortunes essentially being their version of Bunks. I've talked to a couple of Changeling SCs about that, and yeah, they do say the main barrier of en- entry for them are trying to incorporate Hyacien in like a mixed game with regular Cathane is that, yeah, Wutan being just so like radically different enough from Arts and Realms that it's hard to run and also kind of hard to like reference in the middle of a game. One of the many difficulties. Yes. <laughs> An integrated game. There's definitely kind of some cool ideas in here, but honestly, um, especially in terms of like representing like the all the potential powers that theoretical uh, Asian fate could have, especially when you consider like other galai and like Nunehi and Metahune, they seem to be okay just using the arts and realms as well, just kind of you know reskinning them, rewording them to represent their culture. So what was wrong with doing it for the ASEAN? Yeah. Because it had to be elemental. Yeah. Because it's a totally different game and not tied to yeah. <laughs> but, but honestly, that's this might be the strongest evidence of that, but also the strongest thing it has to stand on as its own game. If you said this is an entirely new game and here's the magic system, I would be 100% on board. Mm-hmm. But as it is, it just makes it twice the work to figure out how to balance everything. As someone who's also had to grapple with some of the many issues of Mage 20th Anniversary's uh, Sphere Magic mechanics, there is definitely some specificity in some of the mechanics they enjoy. Like, for instance, quite a bit of the detail they can go for, like, the modifiers, which are yes. essentially, like, the Sans versions of the realms. And definitely nice to have, like, what the extra successes do for each one. For instance, Abundance, which basically number two targets, so it's like, okay, zero is just one, one is two targets, two is three to five. So it's like, all right, that's definitely neat to add. I am definitely afraid of the situation where a CN player would feel the need to ratchet all the way up to six to do a thousand to one to 10,000 targets. <laughs> but the beauty of this system, and again, it's overpoweredness comes down to things like it's fairly easy to get up to i need 10 successes it's also fairly easy to then get it back down to like i need four successes and you can do things with at level one it could be like i'm gonna make a thousand people slightly happy 
that's a very easy thing to do. We have one example, level three, where it's like, she grows claws that do eight dice of aggravated damage. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Just out of nowhere, that's like a base fire alchemy power. So it definitely rewards people who know how to game a system, which I think is part of why they nerfed yeah. it. Yeah, which speaking of, they even had like a rituals, basically do an extended test to get as much success as, right. as you yeah, want. Yeah. So that is uh, definitely awesome to have and at least have enough cognizance to realize that, that, oh crap, it really is asking too much of our players to try to do 10 plus successes in one roll because with how high some of these uh, modifiers can go, that is definitely a possibility to happen. Yeah. Chapter six? Sure. Yeah. Then we get into more systems in chapter six. Including something I've never seen before, two new ways to earn XP. Yeah. I liked this. One from answering prayers and one for encouraging belief in the celestial order. Absolutely. Kind of a, another way that, in a good way, differentiates how what the Asian do is very different from what the Cathane do, to the point that's making me wonder, maybe we should think of just an additional XP system for the Cathane to kind of emphasize how they um, promote dreams beyond just the uh, the various tempers and such. Mm-hmm. So I really like that you can gain XP from that. It kind of reminds you, oh, this is what the Xianzi has their purpose, but it does kind of push the game in particular directions which people might think like oh but i want to do whatever i want with my character why sh- why can't i be rewarded for doing yeah. it but that's always how xp works yeah yeah systems i just like that they fulfill their celestial purpose and mm-hmm. get something out of it on the other hand so we didn't talk about natan which is the other power of internal alchemy which is like really overpowered to an extent <laughs> and it says here you can only increase that trait when your chi is balanced so like you gain 10 temporary and you get a permanent one. There's also a note in here where it's like, oh, if you haven't looked at the character sheet yet, you should look at it now. What character Spoiler, sheet? Spoiler, there is no character sheet <laughs> yeah. in this book. <laughs> but so you have like a chi box that you fill up and you gain permanent dots. And I feel like this system encourages you to become the equivalent of a shirain, like the immortal balanced ones, by just gaining as much chi as possible. Get as much yang as you can, mm-hmm. then get as much yin as you can then bump up your natan because that's how you get back across the wall in the end that's how you get the jade key and and i want to see the ascetic ones i want to see the ones who are grounded in the human world and don't care so much about ramping that up but there's nothing in this book to support that as like a choice so that's just one thing that stood out to me mm-hmm. tao is cool though it's like temporary arate yeah, because I know that sometimes a uh, changeling is sometimes kind of thought of as being like made with training wheels on, but then I'm, I'm looking at the sin mechanics is like, oh, so it, it, in some ways it kind of leans even more towards a mage, which is weird, but okay. Maybe like a Dark Ages mage where it's like the foundation mm. and pillars from the culture. You're like, what? It doesn't fully explain it. But... but a culture that the authors knew nothing about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do like, we have in checks and yang checks and dao checks, which are a little bit like banality checks, sort of. Mm. I mean, kind of like we saw um, in an anime with the checking for slumber. It's interesting to see the genesis of these systems in these older books. Then we have some more notes on forms, wani forms and animal forms. Actual animal stats, which is... Actual animal. (laughs) By comparison, was there ever like stats of of, like the seals for selkie players to ever reference like in any changeling book there were not (laughs) Mm. well i guess another point to this book then they're basically just land carp (laughs) speaking of which i like how badgers and carp have the same health levels as humans (laughs) (laughs) there's that which for european badgers 
that might be uh, a little bit more plausible if you consider the things they get up to. Then we get some spirits because we don't really have chimera here. Although I would love to see more about the chimera that they would encounter. If they can deal with the dreaming, Mm -hmm. presumably they see chimera. But putting that aside, we get spirit traits, which I guess are fairly aligned with what you would see in other spirit related games. Mm -hmm. A lot of elementals. Um, Actually, I don't know if they do see. I think they only deal with the dreaming when they're in the dreaming. They have the Shantou talent, which is like Kenning. So can they Ken chimera? Well, it's, it's also like awareness, but yeah. Shrug. Yeah, because they say like, oh, the ch- one point is like, oh, the Kithane look different when they're in the dreaming. And... Some of the spirits here, they do have and break down kind of like, you know, fire elementals, wood ele- elementals, and a water elementals and all that, which, and I guess uh, with a Kamui, it's just that within, you know, would they be all the up at like incarnate level with like, for instance, with totems, or would they be up a little bit lower than that? And just, uh... oh, I would, I would hope lower. <laughs> we don't need, we don't need no incarna in this game. Yeah. <laughs> I would say. Something I really do like about these write-ups, though, is it has a section on how to approach the spirit. So it's like you get built-in chiminage suggestions, and I'm like, that's useful. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and maybe even kind of uh, port that over into other uh, games with other Asian splats that deal with spirits like uh, Henge Yokai or maybe Asian Dream Speakers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We get some. If you run into other Supernaturals stats, again, more evidence of this functioning as a core book for an entirely <laughs> different game. And then notes about the spirit worlds, which I'm still confused about what actually happens when they cross the wall. Like, do they need Natan 5 to have the Jade Key or not? Do they burn to death or make their way towards an actual story that they can survive? How do they cross back? I feel like I'm missing a lot of the context the book expects me to have from buying all of the year of the Lotus products. Ye- and it's just bugging me mechanically that there's this whole other cosmology I have to learn to participate in this setting. Even Mummy didn't make me do that. <laughs> yeah, and even with like the section about the dreaming, they, they at least referenced the trods. So you would think that the various other uh, pathways into and out of the uh, the Umbra or the Yin and Yang roads would also be there. But yeah, it's weird they don't get explicitly referenced enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. There's little tidbits buried that could be interesting, but... They don't really help you hash it out. And it just goes back to the generalized othering that's happening throughout these books. That's chapter six, which leaves us with the mercifully brief chapter seven. (laughs) AKA the storytelling chapter. Well, so it opens with something I wanted this whole book, which was ideas about how to handle human interaction, but then immediately drops this, the East is unpredictable. And I'm like, Damn it. Yeah. Ultra modern conveniences like cellular phones don't exist in rural China. Shut up. <laughs> uh. But unfortunately, I only was able to get around to kind of skimming it. But right off the bat, seeing about Nathema Mood saying uh, mystery and intrigue, which is just. Yeah. Right. That's Orientalism at its finest. <laughs> like right there. Yeah. And it's not that you can't have a game with mystery or intrigue, it's just that when that becomes the defining trait all the way through it's like it's not mysterious or intriguing to a lot of people the majority of the world's population is (laughs) anyway just one more additional regarding the colonialism and them treating as if it was just this recent thing the other thing is that regarding changeling is that they've been very very consistent about how wherever like settlers and colonizers go the cathane always follow them consistently everywhere so, yeah, it's weird that apparently they keep treating them as if, like, only just now the Cathayne are finding out about the Asien right. when they should have had contact, like, yeah. centuries ago. 
Like maybe the she just didn't know, but and they're the only ones who matter. <laughs> but this applies. I mean, I think we can kind of segue into talking about the book as a whole. When you take out like half of the adjectives and half of the absolute statements in this book, the writing would have been so much better. It would have been a lot less text, mm-hmm. but it would have been so much better. And when you carve those out in this chapter in particular, there are suggestions for stories and themes that are at least drawn broadly enough not to feel like they're exoticizing. Like there's yeah. one of the examples is to have a questing plot. Cool. Tell me how to do that in this setting in a way that isn't terrible and I'm on board. But mm-hmm. the book as a whole, it's like the weird, yeah, othering, weird language. Let's throw like it just makes it hard to read. Even just yeah. see what we're trying to say. <laughs> it really does. It's like you will never understand, reader, but buy all of our Year of the Lotus products so you can run a crossover <laughs> game with them. Yeah, it's really hard to read, and especially within a 2023, super dated, and it's to the point that I'd have a very hard time, like, I'm recommending someone this book for, like, a modern-day, like, Changing Chronicle. Yeah. If you're knowledgeable about these cultures, you could maybe get a little bit of inspiration for things to actually make a Changeling book, but... Well, given how thinly the Xen are described in C20, I mean, you get some mechanics and that's basically it. This book gives you a lot of stuff to work with. It's just half of it you're going to have to throw out and like, you know, fill it in with something better. Another thing that occurred to me about this book, and again, shows that disalignment with Changeling as a whole, is that mortals are presented as this like homogenous group of usually antagonistic and faceless people. And for all of Mm -hmm. the emphasis they're saying about family and marriage and children and tradition and all of this stuff, it's like you're not giving me anything to work with except to talk about how backwards people are and i don't want that yeah it it says a lot about the author's perception of the population of the region they're writing about frankly yeah Mm -hmm. which even then it's also another case of being like really inconsistent that notion with the rest of the book with the emphasis on religions and festivals the thing is about with the festivals and holidays especially within modern asia some of them actually like the more spiritual angle of it has been kind of ebbing away but what is being kept is the cultural angle, which is that you go with the festival to experience your culture. And more importantly, that is also where you kind of have to sometimes like, you know, reconnect with friends and family. So if anything, the Hisian should be just like all about like as part of it, just getting uh, involved with their mortal side or with like, the lives of, of mortals. This is what I did with my storyteller's vault supplement book of days. Did we want to? Shameless plug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. You could maybe strip out 90% of this and demon and then make some other spot out of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, related to that, as a final comment on this book, because I did think, is there anything redeemable that we could take out from it? And I do think there's an interesting take on what it means to be Fae buried somewhere in here. Mm -hmm. And that could form the basis of a different take on the Xian that is more aligned with Mm -hmm. Changeling. And you can keep the differences in politics, the differences in magic system, albeit maybe not too different, the metaphysical concept of a spirit in a human body rather than reincarnating face soul, because none of those things in and of themselves are predicated on Orientalism or inherent otherness, mm-hmm. you know? And I'd also, I'd give them more of a stake in the dreaming with the Yugen derived from rituals. I'd expand the human concerns a bit. And I don't think they need to absolutely function the same as the Kithane. I don't think that needs to have a metaphysical justification, but I don't think they need to like 
I don't think they necessarily need to have the same arts, the same realms. I understand why people want that for ease of crossover, but I'm like, I could deal with some variation within that aspect, as long as it's handled not so <laughs> ham-fistedly. The, yeah. the other direction is doing a small, lesser gods who are, are godlike beings in a some sort of celestial bureaucracy kind of yeah. thing as a separate from Fey, but its own. But anyway... Both would be a lot of work. So. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but in looking up the origins of Xian as a word, it has so many translations. And one of those is fairy. But I think it's probably they looked in a dictionary and found it without any context of mm-hmm. understanding what that means. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, yes, there is a connection there, but it's not the most important connection for either side of that translation. Mm-hmm. I will definitely say that there's absolutely can make a connection from Prayers Your Dreams. Yeah, there's definitely is an interesting point in commonality with just Hisien being as minor gods and that they have, you know, duties to carry out and then how they an obligation to carry them out. You can definitely draw a connection between like the Cathane, you know, not just with trying to balance out their mortal lives, but also trying to embody and play out the dreams and stories they represent. Mm-hmm. And that with the Hisien... It's sort of like a different view from that. But it's an opportunity for them to learn from each other. Too, exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is like, that would be great. <laughs> anyway. Also, we need a character sheet. That would also be helpful. Yeah. Go support Mr. Gone, everybody. Yes. Link in the show notes. So yeah, Lucid, is there anywhere people could find you if they want to talk to you or anything you want to... All right. Um, find me all around the discords. Also under Lucid. It's spelled uh, L-E-W-C-I-D. In terms of projects, I've had the idea of just straight up Japanese kits. That's unfortunately in the uh, idea phase, So, and I'm already kind of busy with a bunch of other things right now, but it's something I would love to get back to, so I guess I keep an eye for that. Mm. Woohoo! And speaking of discords... Yeah, if you want to find Lucid on our Changeling the Podcast Discord, you can go to our discord.me slash ctp. You can go to our website, changelingthepodcast.com, where you can view all our episodes, and there's links to all our other stuff there. You can uh, send us a toot at changelingpod at dice.camp. You can go to our Facebook page, Changeling the Podcast. You can find us on YouTube for Changeling the Podcast. Oh, you can also email us, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. Yeah, (laughs) I know you forgot one, but I can't remember which. Yes, There we go. And so once again, I'm Josh. I very scrutably remain Puka. And I am kind of lucid, always. <laughs> uh-huh. Lucid dreamer? Yes. Yep. <laughs> the transformative power of Natan's Pinnacle allows one to access the metaphorical Jade Key, which opens the doors between worlds and lets one get all kinds of interdimensional. This week, let's break down the barriers between RPGs both tabletop mythological and browser-based satirical by considering the classic web game Kingdom of Loathing. KOL's system of elements consists of hot, cold, spooky, stench, and sleaze. Using the systems of Xian magic presented in Land of Eight Million Dreams or the C20 core book, we pose the question, what might sleazy alchemy look like? You're welcome to drop by our Discord at www.discord.me ctp to share your answers, or discuss your perspective on this and other episodes, as well as whatever else tickles your fave-flavored fancy. You can also support our show by leaving a review on the podcast listening platform of your choice, or by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. Patrons get a shout-out at the end of each episode, so we'd like to extend a special thanks to Derek, 
Dorkadus, Oreo, Rouse Sandshaker, Seija, Cherry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. As always, thanks for listening, keep your chi well balanced, and until next time, keep on dreaming.